You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Freedom Pact. Today on the show, we have Jay Morton. Jay is former UK Special Forces, SAS. He's one of the stars of Channel 4's SAS, Who Dares Wins, alongside Ant Middleton and co. He's also a two-time Everest summiteer, and he's here today to talk about SAS mindset, why complacency is your worst enemy, his expeditions of Everest and why he wanted to climb it, not only once but twice, and why you should build a sense of adventure into your life and how that can ultimately benefit you. So please enjoy this conversation with Jay Morton. Thanks for having me on. No worries, man. One of the first things I wanted to talk to you was about Everest because I went to base camp this time last year. And mm-hmm. when I was there, I remember, well, I remember getting to base camp and that was pretty much enough for me. And um, I looked up when I was there and I thought, why on earth would anyone want to go any further? Mm-hmm. What was the motivation behind that originally for you? You know, I think firstly, having the opportunity and, and secondly, you know, everything that I've done in my life has all been about, always been about challenges. Um, it's always been about adventure. Even joining the special forces was, you know, about testing myself. It was about um, understanding what my body is capable of. And I think given the opportunity to go and climb Everest, you know, the highest mountain in the world, you know, it was, it was an easy decision for me to make to go and do it for, for all those reasons that it, it tested me the right way. You know, it gave me, it gave me adventure. Uh, it gave me danger, which, which I enjoy. Um, and also like I've, I've got quite a lot of mountaineering, uh, experience and, and background. And I find when I'm in the mountains, that's my, that's my calm space. That's my head space. I enjoy being in the mountains for those reasons. And all those aspects just, you know, led me to make that decision to go and climb it. What was the preparation stage? Like how, how long in advance were you prepping, training, acclimatizing, things like that? So I've, I've always climbed since I joined the regiment. Um, I went away and um, trained to be a German military mountain guide. So I've got a lot of experience in, in the mountains um, throughout my life. But we actually ran a package or ran a training package to, to do Everest. So we, so we wanted to climb one, one 8,000 meter mountain prior to, to doing Everest. Uh, so we went to Manisley, which is think off the top of my head is the eighth highest. M- might be wrong. It's, it's around 8,156 meters. So that was, so that was kind of our initial testing phase. And if we could, if we could summit Manaslu or at least get to seven, 8,000 meters, then we'd be prepped for prep for Everest. And, um, we actually made a load of, load of mistakes on Manaslu, which was really good for us climbing Everest because We'd already made those mistakes prior on Manaslu. 
we didn't actually end up summiting on, on Manaslu. Um, you know, and, and that's probably a, an in-depth conversation itself, but we basically arrived late to the mountain. So a lot of people had already set off on the climb and, and we hadn't. Um, you know, we, we failed to acclimatize appropriately and, you know, we, we climbed in, we climbed after a heavy snowfall, which meant there was a high risk of avalanche. And so we kind of made all the mistakes early on in, in Manaslu, you know, hold, hold my hand up. We weren't experts at that time, still are. And then as you get to Everest, you know, the prep and acclimatization phase. So the expedition's roughly six weeks and you, you know, it's all about taking your time to acclimatize so that you can summit the mountain safely. You do that by climbing in, climbing no more than around 500 meters per day so that your body adjusts to it. But then, yeah, it's just about taking your time on Everest. It's not something that you can do quickly. It's, it's, a, it's a very slow process. Um, you know, in terms of preparation for actual Everest, I had the mountaineering skills already there. I think physically, I keep myself in a very good condition. Um, I think just being fully rested before you actually attempt the climb is probably is what I say to, to most people that want to do it is, you know, do all your, do all your fitness stuff, do all your, your mountaineering prep, but then say two weeks prior to you flying out to country, just have a period where you just eat loads of food, get loads of calories, stick some extra fat on and just make sure that you turn up um, without an injury because you lose so much weight, you lose so much muscle mass and you know, you, you need that extra fat and you need to be, be healthy and, and in a good shape before you turn up. What were some of the, the biggest challenges you faced on that climb, maybe physically or, or even mentally I'd, I'd, uh, I'd add? Uh, so, you know, the, the first time that I summited Everest, it was, I have, to, I have to hold my hands up, it was like a, a really enjoyable um, experience. And in, in terms of challenges, we didn't really, it, it ran really smoothly. It was probably the smoothest expedition I've been on. And I felt like really fit. I acclimatized really well. So did my climbing partner. Like felt, felt amazing, even up until the point, you know, even summit day, like I had so much energy. Um, and, and some of the Sherpas turned, turned well, my Sherpa turned around. I was just left on my own with my oxygen. Um, and I, I, felt, I felt really good inside and I just, I was, you know, I was cruising at a good speed. I think the second expedition to Everest, totally different. Um, and that was last year. And last year made it, made it into the news, uh, made it into the media quite a lot just because you had quite, you know, you had roughly the average number of deaths but you had a massive backlog. I don't know if you saw the picture that was taken upon Hillary Step of, of the massive backlog of, of people. It was like a big yeah. human traffic. And, and that posed a lot of challenges in itself. You know, the, the mountain is dangerous, but, um, you know, the people, on the people on Everest can be dangerous as well. There's a lot of, you know, inexperienced people. There's a lot of people that just have a lot of money and just go and climb it. Um, I think, you know, they pose a danger. Um, I was guiding a bigger group. So I had a group of around, 
it was, it was overall 12 people, but I had eight, including myself. That posed probably the biggest challenge for me is when, I, when I'm on my, on my own climbing one of those hills, like it's fine. It's just me on my own climbing. I don't have to worry about other people. If I'm in danger, it's just me in danger. But when I've got other people that I've got, got to look after and, you know, they've all got their own expectations of how they want to climb the mountain. They've all got their own experience, their own ideas. Um, trying, to, trying to juggle that whilst trying to get them to the summit. And, you know, I always said to the lads, I always said, stick with me and I'll get you to the summit. And three of them stuck with me and we ended up on the summit. And the other lad didn't get there for various reasons, health reasons, other reasons. But I think trying to manage other people on the hill, I, found, I find is the biggest challenge for me. Physically and mentally, I'm, I'm fine with it. You, you mentioned that second climb. And, I mean, you said the first climb went so well. And most people... You know, if they, if they manage to do something like, you know, climb Everest, that's enough for them. That satisfies them, especially given the success rate of something like that. So what on earth made you want to do it a second time? What was the motivation then? Probably one of the, one of the biggest reasons was I had such a good time on it the first time. <laughs> um, you know, it goes back to... To, to why I make my decisions and a lot of it is about adventure. It's about challenge. Um, you know, I think, I think you mentioned um, on, on, on the questions, it's like not being content. And I'm, I'm, I'm one of the biggest, um, you know, that's one of, one of my biggest things is like not being content with, with pretty much anything. And I've, I've not yet realized whether it's a blessing or a curse. Um, because it echoes in everything of, of not being content with, you know, whatever it is. I won't go into too much detail. But yeah, I think, you know, climbing that foot, you know, summing the first time had such a great experience. And I get a lot out of it. I get a lot out of exposing myself to danger and adversity. I think a lot of people can get a lot of, out of good out of exposing themselves to adversity. Um, you know, there's a massive sense of, of, of reward standing on the summit of Everest. And for me, I think doing it the first time and then you kind of, or I felt like my, my odds were narrowed going into it the second time. And simply just because, you know, I had it in my head that I was lucky the first time, that I, everything went well. But, but to actually stand on the summit that second time, although it was a worse experience, kind of, meant way more to me than standing on it the first time. And I actually shed a little tear whilst I was at the top as well. So yeah, I guess it's just that, you know, that challenge, that adversity and just not being content with, with doing it once. Do you think that's an important thing for everyone to aspire to? Not in the sense that obviously not everyone's going to climb Everest, you know, once, let alone twice, but maybe on their own scale, look for that sense of challenge and adventure in life. Yeah, hundred percent. I think I actually feel like it's something that the world misses these mm. days. Because, you know, life is so easy right now. Well, not now it's, it's got a lot harder, but <laughs> prior to all this, it was, you know, life's very easy. It's, it's, it's one of the, the longest periods of peace and, and no war um, that we've known as historically. And I just feel like humans 
gain so much from putting themselves in some sort sort of adversity. And yeah, you're right, it's it's scalable, so it, it doesn't necessarily have to be climbing Mount Everest. It could be going for a career path that you see as too challenging for yourself or you know, entering a sport that you want to enter, but you just don't have the confidence to do that. Those are all the adverse things. And I think, you know, personally, I've got a lot of, of um, reward from putting myself in those adverse places. For example, joining the Special Forces, climbing Everest, climbing all these other expeditions. I get a lot of positivity from that. Do you think that failure or the prospect of failure is something that people tend to fear too much and maybe it's something we should embrace? Yeah, I think, you know, the fear of failure is probably one of the biggest fears that everyone has. Um, personally, myself, I have it. It's, it, it. It is a big, big fear for me. Um, and it's difficult. Like we can, we can sit here on this, on this podcast and talk about, yeah, everyone should go out and just understand failure and, you know, understand what it feels like and get over it. It's very easy for us to say this and preach it, but it's very difficult for people to go and do. Um, and, and, you know, all you can say is you won't understand the benefit of, of experiencing failure until you, until you understand it and get over it. And, you know, some of those most important learning points in my life are where, are where I have failed. For example, I mentioned Manaslu before. You know, we, we made so much... We, we, failed, we failed so much on some of the things that we did there that actually when we went to do Everest, it was, it was a breeze. You know, at the time, like I was beating myself up for all those mistakes that we made because they were simple mountaineering mistakes. But actually in the, in the long run, all those failures meant that, you know, Everest was, was, was way easier than I thought it was going to be. Did you, just being in a place like that, and you know the the people native to to that area did you learn anything or gain gain any perspective because if i scale it down to to my experience i remember walking through the villages out there and seeing these people in such poverty and they were some of the happiest people in the world yeah yeah definitely like you said like that's scalable though isn't it yeah so much choice of everything back here you know, they, they just live simply and, um, yeah, you're right. They are some of the happiest people in the world. Um, but it's a testament to the fact that we don't need much in life. Um, we get so much choice in the Western world, you know, our mobile phones, like endless, you know, box sets on Netflix. Uh, Amazon can deliver in less than 24 hours. It's like, it's like, you know, even this, you know, the COVID-19 thing that's going on now, it's like, I think the biggest like message that I've taken away is just, you know, how fast paced my life was before all this happened and actually how, how nice or how kind of, it's nice to now have that headspace to, to understand that I don't actually need much. You know, I can, I can buy my food, I can keep healthy, I can keep active. Um, yeah, it's quite nice to see those people out there. And, and, and you know, you say poverty, but it, it's not poverty because that's, that's how they live their life. Yeah. You just look poverty to us because you know we have 55 inch tvs and uh, 8k is about to come online and stuff so yeah that's how they live their life and uh, it's the same anywhere you go in the world you know afghanistan was the same it's the people there are are happy and content with what they're doing and 
they don't have much. Yeah, I don't know it's if you. It's a good message. Yeah, no, definitely. I don't know if you stopped there or not. Um, but I remember, I remember getting that feeling of uh, perspective. Um, do you know a place called Namche? Namche, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. bazaar. Oh, I could have lived there for the rest of my life. I think. Hey, nice place, isn't it? Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, you, could, you could just like walk up to the back and like you had a, a massive view of the valley. And, yeah, yeah. And, uh, it's a nice place. Um, moving on, then you we've touched. You know, you've mentioned your military career slightly. What drew you to to that career, and what did you think, at least before you started? What did you think or hope to get out of it on a personal level? So, you know, when I left, when I kind of, when I joined the army, so I was 20 years old, joined the parachute regiment. Even when I first joined the army, I I didn't want to go into, you know, not that there's anything wrong with it, but I I didn't want to just go into, say, a normal unit or um, just a standard unit. I wanted to, to kind of, you know, as cliche as it sounds, join the best unit in, in, in the military, which was, you know, the parachute regiment of the Marines. And at the time, it was, it was a way up between those two. And, you know, I think that echoes in, you know, I was quite gifted when I went to the parachute regiment that it was about the time that Afghanistan kicked off in 2006. Uh, went over there and, you know, involved in a lot of fighting. Pretty much every day we were going out and, and getting into scraps. Same with 2008, just not as intense. And I, I kind of enjoyed that. Or again, I, I got a lot out of it. You know, I enjoy visiting different countries. Um, I enjoy going into some sort of, you know, say it again, adverse areas or dangerous areas with the camaraderie of, of being in a, a close-knit team where everyone's thinking the same and everyone's looking out for each other. And it's, it's that family unit going overseas and, and doing what, what the military does best. And I was attracted to that. I enjoyed that, that aspect of it, the whole, the whole package of it. Um, and then it was, right, well, what's next? What's, what's the next progression of, of how, how, do I, how do I develop myself as a professional soldier and how do, I, um, you know, how do I get the most out of this career that I'm in? And, and joining the SAS is, is, that, is that progression. Um, and yeah, it was, it was kind of a, a no brainer to go on selection and, you know, that was, you know, 10 years in the SAS, uh, came out last August. That was, you know, some of the, the best, some of the best and highest and lowest times of my life. Yeah. I mean, we mentioned it, um, you know, with, with the summit in Everest twice and now taking that, um, military progression to the SAS and, and that feeling of, of not wanting to feel content. Um, when you did come it's, out it, here... It, it is that. It's that. It's exactly that. It's that not, not wanting to feel, not feeling content with what you've got mm. at that time and, and looking to, like, how can I better what I'm doing or how can I develop more? Yeah. It's almost that um, danger of complacency. Um, you hear a lot of athletes talk about this, say, when they have a massive goal, or they've got a fight, or, or they want to win a championship, or something. I think Tyson Fury talks about it well. Um, when you, you know, finally achieve that goal, and you 
don't move the goalposts at all. It's very easy to come complacent and then, you know, lose any progression you had building up to that. Yeah, that's true. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's about not plateauing. I think yeah. that's, that's another biggest fear of mine is plateauing and just, you know, just, just being stagnant. And, and I felt like that was, you know, that's one of the reasons probably why I left the military at, that, at the time I did. Because I, I felt like I plateaued. You know, you scored that goal and, you know, everything started to just become normal and the same. And it was, it was then, it's like not being content then and trying to look for what, what's next. When you did come out of the military then, um, how have you managed to keep that feeling of progression now? Now you've come out of something like a situation like that and you're back to, you know, normal life, so to speak. Where does that sense of not wanting to feel content go now? Where do you focus your energy on coming out? Um, it, 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 it's hard, you know. It's like leaving that kind of environment and going to a civilian environment is difficult for any man. Um, you know, the first thing that I missed was, was people being around, being around those, you know, those, those tier one operators. So, you know, the biggest thing for me is just trying to create that environment outside of, of the military as best I can. So, you know, for now, you know, I set up a clothing brand with two other ex-SBS lads and we run that. So I've got that, that family unit there, that, that come up, that camaraderie shit. Um, and then it's, it's trying to push myself in different challenges. So, you know, business was a challenge. You know, when I summited the second Everest, that was when I'd left the military. I also summited it, managed to summit Manaslu uh, the second time. Um, Again, just trying to push myself in, in challenges that I can do. And then also just trying to keep a routine where my mind's active, whether it's education or physical health. Um, just push myself into new challenges and try and find that adversity, even like the TV show. It's not normal for SF blokes to, to leave the special forces and then end up on, on Channel 4. It's, uh, it's not a natural progression, so... Again, just learning new skills and trying to push myself into things that I find uncomfortable, which is usually where I get the, the best reward from. Yeah, I mean, I I interviewed uh, one of your TV show colleagues before. I interviewed Ollie when his when his book came out, and yeah. we talked about. I wonder if you had the same experience um, when you came out of the military, because that is almost all you been up to that point in your life and it's such an immersive career and I'm assuming a lot of your identity is tied into being in the military did you struggle with your identity at all when you came out because that's all you'd ever been yeah yeah like um yeah massively yeah uh, you'd been you know it was all part of, you know you, you like I left the squadron and the squadron's the main fighting force of, of the regiment and you're surrounded by 30 to 40 like-minded men, all alpha males, all, you know, all, all barking at a door to try and get in and shoot something. It's like, you're surrounded by these kind of like a, like a stream kind of people. And then, you know, everyone's having banter, everyone's competing with each other. And I remember I signed off and it was six weeks. So from the, the point that I signed off to leaving the military it was six weeks. And I remember, like, I drove out of camp. I was like, oof, this is it. And the next week, I was sat in a flat that I was sharing with a girlfriend at the time in London, just on my own, wondering, 
like what the hell what like what am i doing what am i doing kind of thing and yeah you, you identify as that person that i wasn't in the squadron yet you're not there anymore and that's a weird thing to go through and i think most people that leave the military or you know you could even say you know anything where you are at the top of your game whether it's you know premiership footballers you know uh premiership rugby players when you leave that thing that you know i was jay in the sas and you leave that now I'm, i'm just a civilian and like you know people still people still ex- you know still expect that you're like a, a special forces guy but i'm just a civilian and yeah it takes a lot of of, of getting used to you know, it probably took about six months to actually realize, like, not who I am, but, you know, I'm on this different path now and I've got, I've got these different challenges and different people around me. But it does, does take some adjusting, definitely. What are some of the biggest lessons you learned um, throughout your career in the Special Forces? Maybe about yourself? Um. You know, I think, you know, being in something like the Special Forces, I think, you know, I was just, I was just a, a normal kid from Preston, you know. There's absolutely no difference between me and, and any other person coming out, out, of, out of Preston. I think the military in itself, like the 14 years that I spent in the Parachute Regiment of the SAS, like, like, A, it's made me the person I am today, but, you know, the, the way it's done that is, you know, through a lot of things. I think, I think discipline is, is one of the, the, the key things on this. And I always think about, you know, all this mindset, all this um, motivation, like teamwork, all this kind of stuff, it all comes under discipline. And you, you subconsciously learn it in the military because you have to learn it. You know, when you go through your basic training, you have to iron your clothes and you're wondering why, I'm, why am I ironing my clothes? But then that then reflects in, in combat, you know, when you're told to carry out an order and you carry that order out. So, like, discipline being one of the main factors um, and how important it is in, in, in life and how important it, it is in, in my life now just to have some, some form of structure and routine. And that all comes under discipline. Uh, all the motivation comes under discipline. Um, and, 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 yeah, it's like... I think kind of what I learned about myself, it's always a tricky question, isn't it? To like, to, to try and understand what you learn about yourself. Um, you know, I think just humans in general, how resilient, resilient we are, not just myself personally, but in, in general, um, physically and mentally resilient and, and how we're, we're able to do things way beyond what we actually think we're capable of doing physically and mentally. Um, and it's just about applying discipline and, and, and having that motivation and understand what you're trying to achieve. You know, it, it's, it, it's about that essentially. You know? Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned discipline. That was one of the main talking points I had with Ollie because he said when he started out um, in the military, they, they almost taught him how to do everything he ever knew again from scratch, from like brushing his teeth to tying his shoes almost. And it does drill that sort of sense of if you're going to do something, do it to your 100%. Is that something or is that a trait you've carried with yourself since leaving? Uh, yeah, 100%. It, I'll carry that till, till I die. 
Um, you know, and I, you know, I hold my hands up. I'm not perfect at it either. Mm. I, I don't, I don't wake up every morning, like fold my bed a hundred percent, like iron my sheet. Like I'm not a hundred percent perfect, but I think, you know, have like having the discipline to, you know, be able to wake up when your alarm clock goes off. Yes. I make my bed. It's not perfect. You know, be able to do have some sort of morning routine, whether it's physical exercise, whether it's a bit of meditation, whether it's a stretch, um, and and just have the discipline to be able to set that routine so that I'm out the door at eight thirty. I'm in the gym. I'm into work. I'm drinking enough water every day. I'm eating healthy food. I'm I'm surrounding myself with healthy education, whether it's podcasts, whether it's books, and um, you know whether I'm I'm making the, the correct choices in in career, whether I'm you know, expose myself to challenges outside of that career, whether it's, you know, going and doing a half marathon, uh, going and doing an, an ultra marathon, that all comes under that discipline that you learn when you're in the military. If you take that discipline away, I, I, you know, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be doing any of those things. I'd be sat on, sat on my ass watching Netflix series all day. Yeah, you mentioned um, routine as well, which, you know, throughout interviewing, you know, about 100 people so far that's one of the things a lot of the interviews come back to is that sense of routine and habits um is that some you know have you developed any habits that you can attribute to, to who you are so say you mentioned reading for example exercise are you very habit driven yeah very habit driven uh, habit driven i think all those things that i mentioned before uh health is very habit driven um you know, keeping keeping in, in physical shape is very habit driven. Like education is very habit habit driven. Like all these things, are, it comes down to routine and forming those habits. Um, and and yeah, yeah. Like like I said before, it's like that's 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 pretty much what I do. Like get up in the morning. I have a morning routine. I've got all these habits. My, my physical exercise is habit. Um, you know, even down to if I need to do some work on a computer you know, turning your phone off and just having that headspace, you know, no distractions to just be able to do, uh, you know, 30 minutes to an hour of constant work. It's all down to forming those, those healthy habits. You mentioned the, the way you educate yourself is important. What sort of content do you consume in, in that regard? Uh, so mainly for me, it's books, audio books, a lot of podcasts. And um, like, I'm not very academic, like never was probably the reason why I went in the military. So, you know, reading books take, takes a lot of effort for me. Yeah. Um, I'm reading Mike Tyson's autobiography at the minute, probably not even a quarter of the way through and I've been doing it for about two months. So um, audio books are easy just cause yeah. I digest it when I'm cooking, when I'm driving and um, same with podcasts. Yeah. I'm not very academic, but even, you know, like everything's a form of education, isn't it? For example, you know, surfing, climbing, they're all forms of, of education. You, you learn something, whether you're learning it physically or mentally. Um, and that's very important to just keep up those, those habits of, of learning positive things in your life. Um, you know, and I, th I think it's, it's probably a, ha a habit of mine to just have that, that quest for, for knowledge or that quest to want to be able to learn a new skill like the minute I'm trying to learn the guitar, I'm absolutely dreadful at it. But I get a lot from 
seeing myself progress. Yeah, I love that. Um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, and one of the questions that were sent in a lot, I posted in a, in a fair amount of fan groups on Facebook asking people for questions, and this is the one that come up. Apart from the about 50 messages I got from middle-aged women who clearly <laughs> fancy you, right? I don't know if you know about that market, but it's quite big. <laughs> I get a few messages. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Um, no, one of the ones that uh, came up a lot is what it takes mentally to be part of a role which requires such high pressure, danger, responsibility. Um, one of the examples that crop up is um, the helicopter raid on uh, the Taliban IED factory you've mentioned in interviews before. And have yeah. you taken any of those mental traits and sort of implemented them in, into life post-military? Yeah, I think, you know, you, you develop those traits whilst you're in. Yeah. You know, uh, the, it's hard to be able to stand here and say like, yeah, you need, you need courage, you need commitment, you need all these things because they're all things that you learn and develop over time. And if you take, for example, a helicopter raid, you know, that was, you know, that was eight years roughly into my military career. I've been involved in conflict that whole eight years, pretty much. But when we're not involved in conflict, we're, we're training rigorously, especially in the special forces. It's pretty much all we do is train. So when it comes down to say that helicopter raid, you know, we were, we were three months into an operational tour in Afghanistan. Um, we'd been, we, you know, this, this, this IED factory raid was one of many and it was something that we were going out and doing most nights and, and sometimes days. So when it comes down to it, you know, I always think of it as it's the same as, you know, the guy sticking on his, his uniform and, and driving to the office. You're in that, you're in that mind space now where this is you. And, you know, you're not feeling any fear when you're getting onto that helicopter. You're surrounded by a good team. You know, you know everyone works well. You know how everyone works in, as an individual. And, you know, like I said, you've no fear stepping onto that helicopter. And you're flying to target and you're, you're mildly excited about what's about, what's about to happen. Um, because, you know, that's your job role. That's, that's what you do. Not saying that when the rounds start flying back, you don't feel fear. You still feel fear 100% when your life's thrown on, on, on the floor kind of thing. Um, but no, it's like, you know, so I can't, you know, the best advice I can give is, you know, what it takes to, to carry out that helicopter raid in Afghanistan is a lot of, a lot of discipline, a lot of practice, a lot of training, and, and a lot of exposure to, you know, what it is you're, you know, you've got to look at what it is you want out of life. And if, if you want those attributes, then you need to start exposing yourself to what you see as adversity or what you see as, as, as danger. You know, it could be something as simple as that career choice or asking a girl out on a date or boy or, you know, all those things that you see as, as difficult things. If you're scared of heights, you've got to expose yourself to heights. And that's the only way that you get in that headspace and get those attributes to be able to carry out those helicopter raids. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned, you know, that, that fear when, you know, you said when someone's firing back at you, it's not a case of, can't always say it's just another day at the office. It, it is that, you know, there is that fear. But how, when I think about resilience, how do you keep that focused mind in a situation like that where it is 
you know, there's a high chance you may, your life may be taken. How do you, how do you keep your mind on the task at hand rather than that sort of, I guess, fight or flight would be the, the thing. Yeah. There. Um, you know, again, for me, it comes down to training and we, we've drilled this kind of stuff over and over and over again, over again. And experience, you know, the amount of experience and hours that we develop, you know, going into these, you know, you know blowing, blowing holes in walls and, and entering these buildings. It's like you, one, you become slightly desensitized to what's going on. Um, and, you know, it's like a boxer. He, he, he builds reactions to, to what's going on. You know, someone swings a jab, he understands he's got a slip. And it's almost like, like that when you're, when you're um, doing, you know, assaulting a target. You've done it that many times, you've trained it and drilled it that many times that you, you understand what's going on. Um, yeah, and like I said, you, st- you still feel, feel fear, you still understand that. And the moment that you stop feeling fear, you know, when you don't respect that fear aspect, um, that's when you can become complacent and, and, and die. And essentially, like, you know, if you become complacent and get hit, you know, you, you're essentially compromising that mission because you're then a casualty. Everyone else in your team has to get that casualty out of there. And that slows everything down. It reminds me of, I've interviewed a few American uh, Special Forces guys on, on this podcast before. And one of them, um, was talking to me about how he remains comfortable in chaos. And he says that in through his training, they focused on things like breathing techniques and uh, a way to slow the, slow the breathing down before, you know, going into a, a firefight, essentially. Is that something you ever practiced at all, things like that, like mindfulness or anything like that? I think, um, yeah, I think that's all kind of, kind of new age stuff. Yeah. And I know the Americans are big, big into it. And generally, what happens is the Americans will, will research a lot of that stuff, and then it'll, it'll, um, it'll come over to the UK uh, shores. And I know, kind of now, that kind of stuff's being implemented a lot. Yeah, a lot of mindfulness, a lot of uh, calming yourself down. When when I was when I was there, that was that was all a bit taboo, and it was like no, like mindfulness was still getting banded around, kind of. Yeah, yeah. At that time, mindfulness was what like people dressing up in hemp clothing and yeah. yeah. Personally, I've, I've been into meditation quite a lot. Um, I get I get a lot from it, um, but it, it wasn't something that the special forces were using at that time. Um, you know, I think I think for us back back then, like humor is a big aspect for, for lads in the special forces really? because yeah, like you got a load of alpha males, they all take the, the mick out of each other, and it's it's you know you go out and do something you go out and whack a target and it's it's good to just have that humor aspect of you know like taking the mick out of each other and i think that keeps the spirits up and that calms everyone everyone down and just you know almost uh almost just humorizes like what's going on kind of thing and just calms a lot of people down not that we train that but but yeah i can imagine you know breathing tech I use a lot of breathing techniques and, and that kind of stuff. I can imagine in combat or in any stressful situation, for example, a job interview or something like that, just being able to calm your, your physio- physiology down uh, is very helpful. 
So is that something you, you practice now then? You, you mentioned meditation. Is that something you, you do? And, and what way do you practice that? Is it just quite in the simplest form? Or? Uh, so I started using Headspace about, yeah. I think it was about six years ago. Oh, wow. uh, when I was doing, so we had a ski coach who, who was like really high on the, the German Olympic um, coaching team. And he was explaining to me how, like, because I'd heard of it, but again, it's a bit woo, you know. Yeah. And he was explaining how they implement it for the for the, the Olympic ski team, um, trying to get that whole kind of mind body connection with the skis. So I was like, right, I'll give it a try. I downloaded Headspace, and yeah, I gave it like thirty days, and, and, and for me, I get a lot of benefit from that. I'm not very, I'm not very structured with it, so. I'll go for I'll go for a week meditating every morning, and then probably drop it for a month, two months, yeah. and then pick it up again for a month. Might drop it. Um, for at the minute, I'm using Calm Calm app. Mm. I just do the ten minutes. Find ten minutes is, is enough for me, and then just try and implement that mindfulness. So after the meditation, I'll I'll try and um, just keep mindful for as long as I can till that slips. And then I'll try and implement that during the day at some point. I get a lot of benefit from it. A lot of benefit from, you know, just just anything, just just headspace to stop you stop your thoughts from wandering, and you know, you you end up in that cycle of a lot of stuff going through your head at one time, and it just has the ability to just bring you back in the room. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that's. Um, I think sometimes it can just be as simple as that. And I think it can be, like you said, it can be really helpful because I think there's a stigma about it where a lot of people, when they think about meditation, they think it's somehow tied into like religion or, you know, all these, it doesn't have to be all these chanting and sitting in circles sort of thing. It can be just listening to an audio track for five minutes and focusing yeah. on your breath or something rather than thoughts. Yeah, I noticed, I started using it when I was climbing a lot. And if I was, if I was going to climb a, a hard route, um, just having the mindfulness and I started noticing when I was climbing these hard routes, my breath had started to pick up and I'd start, you know, <sighs> start panting. And I noticed that if I just calmed my breath consciously, like I'd calm myself down on the route and be able to climb it a lot better. And it was just having these kind of realizations that, that I can calm myself down by just having a conscious effect on my breath. And that reflects to, to anything that we do. Um, as we start to wind down now, I have three questions left uh, that we ask every guest. The first one is, are there any societal rules or societal norms that you love to break? We all of them. Yeah? Um, yeah, I'm quite a nonconformist. Um, I heard it ages ago was the saying, if you find yourself doing what everyone else is doing, you're doing the wrong thing. Um, yeah, I've kind of, it's kind of stuck in my head. Um, you know, I, I think it's about, you know, we, we, we get very conditioned in life, don't we? we you know, we've got parents that live together, that, that are married, and, you know, you're raised in this family, you're told to go to school, you're told to be educated, you're told to go to college. Um, you know, after college, you're going to get a, a job that you have to turn up to at nine in the morning and leave at five in the afternoon. And 
for a lot of people, I'd imagine, definitely for me, that's not something that I want to not conform to in a rebellious way, but that's not my idea of a life or of, of happiness in my life. Um, so I think, I think it's about, for me, it's about understanding like, you know, what do I enjoy? What makes me happy? Who do I want to work with? How do I want to work? How much money can, can I have a, can I have a good life with? And, and trying to, trying to just, you know, look at those social norms, break them down and just trying to, trying to make that fit my life. Um, that's pretty much it. You mentioned uh, self-educating in books, um, and you did mention you don't read too many, but are there any books you've read so far that have had a substantial impact on you? Yeah, I own more books than I read. Weirdly. Yeah, I think that's the case <laughs> for most people, though. I buy loads and just stick on the shelves. Yeah. Uh, yeah there's, um, there's a few. So uh, Sapiens is probably the first one. Yeah. Uh, had a big impact on me. I think understanding like why we are the people that we are today and what we've been through historically to get us there from kind of the complete start to, to now. Um, and then the second one, uh, The Planets, Brian Cox. Okay. Having that understanding of, for me, I enjoy it. I'm a, a bit of a space geek, but having that understanding of, you know, how this whole Earth and, and solar system has formed, I think, mm you know, gives you a different perspective on life and makes you understand that, you know, we're very, um, what's the word? Very in, in, insignificant in a whole grand scheme of things. Um, when, you know, we, we think the mo our lives are the most important things going and, and, and actually we're just, we're just part of this whole like solar system or even bigger, this, this galaxy. Um, and then two other books, which, you know, I recommend for anyone right now to read is, uh, what's the first book? Man's Search for Meaning, Victory oh, yeah. Frank. Victor Frank, yeah. And Primo Levy, If This Is a Man. Okay. Both, about, both about Auschwitz and the concentration camps. Uh, both, uh, both Victory Frank and Primo Levy were uh, prisoners in, in Auschwitz. Um, Primo Levy documents the whole thing and, and tells stories. And then Victor E. Frankl's a psychologist and he goes into the psychology of it. I think for me, coming from like a, you know, most of my life has been about people fighting each other and conflict and just having, a, having an understanding of like, you know, what, like what, what we're capable of doing to each other. You know, I think kind of every great leader or every person who poses to be a leader should read these books because Essentially, like, that's what, it, it, you know, it was time-wise, it was the blink of an eye. You know, it was, it was, in, our, it was in our parents' or, or grandparents' lifetimes. It's very recent, and it's, it's a great understanding of what, what men are capable of doing or what man's capable of doing. Yeah, it's interesting because maybe 50% of the successful people I interview all recommend Man's Search for Meaning. So, really? yeah, it's uh, probably our most recommended book actually so there we are we probably read that that book and the planets more than any other book probably done them about four times oh wow <laughs> um uh, you're in the uh you're on the show who dares wins it seems almost a rite of passage for for the, the staff on there to write their own book do you have any plans for that at all or any uh do you have that as a goal at all yeah i do yeah um yeah. 
currently just in the in negotiations to to to, to do one now. Um, it should be on the shelves next January. It's not oh, an open fantastic. Book. Not going to be an autobiography though, um, but we're just coming up with the structure of it as we speak. Amazing! Can't wait for that. My last question to you is: We've talked a lot about lessons and you know messages that mm. uh, you've learned throughout your life. If you were to distill those and you had the chance to give one message or one lesson and impart it on every person on the planet, what would your message be? You know, I think you'd just be, you know, don't, just don't be scared of things and just don't be, don't be scared of putting yourself out there and, and, you know, exposing yourself to things that, that are difficult because, you know, nine times out of 10, there's, there's a reason that your body doesn't want to, or your mind doesn't want to say yes to that certain thing. And it's, it's trying to protect it. But essentially it's, if you can say yes to, to whatever you need to, um, you'll, you'll get a lot of growth and benefit, benefit from that. I think also right now it's, you know, this current situation going on, you know, everyone thinks it's the end of the world kind of thing. I think just understanding that how resilient the, like the human race is, you know, the wars that we've been through, the famine, the plagues, I think at one stage, you know, we, you know, we'll get through this in the end and we'll look back on these times as history. I think just, just, you know, just to use, just, you know, just to add on that, just to use this time wisely, you know, we've been gifted all this, this time now where we're sat in our, in our houses and we think it's such a bad thing, but use this time to, to educate yourselves, stay, stay fit, stay healthy, um, connect with family, connect with friends. Um, and, and come out of this a better person. Where can our listeners find you and connect with you on social media? Uh, so mainly on Instagram, so J double underscore Morton. And then I'm also on Twitter and Facebook. And I'm just in the middle of launching a website, so that should be up and running in the next couple of weeks. should be jmortonshow.com. Cool. I'll link that in the description as well, because I'm sure I'll be out before this podcast is. Awesome. All right, man. Have a good day. Thank you very much. Thanks for speaking to you. Thank you so much for listening to that conversation with Jay Morton. If you enjoyed it, then please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The video version of this podcast, as well as every podcast we do, is also available on YouTube. Just search for Freedom Pact. Episodes are released every single Monday morning, so please tune in again next week. And for all you SAS Who Dares Wins fans out there, stay tuned because we might just have two more of the directing staff in the next coming weeks.